right. Good morning, everybody. Man, I love this crowd. Again, I, I think bacon is the way to go. That is, that's a winner. Every week we go like, what can we do to get people to church early? I think we're, I think we're starting to hit on something here. So, all right. So, hey, welcome. Welcome, everybody. Um, glad that you guys are here. Special shout out, special welcome to our visitors. Uh, I see several of you, and I'm so happy that you are here. And it's, it's important to us, not just that we fill all the seats, but we strive so hard to make everyone feel like they're part of a family. You know, the, the, the word says that we're a body. We're drawn together to one place as the body of Christ. But we, we really feel like if you, are, if you come here and you, and you are a part of this church, you are a part of our family. And we do everything we can to strive just to make sure that people feel like they're a part of the family. So if you're new here, again, thank you so much for, for joining us. We hope you feel welcome. Please connect with us after service. We'll be hanging out, and that's, that's a great time for questions or anything like that. Um, I will try my best, since there are a number of visitors, to kind of get everybody up to speed. As Pastor Gabe said, we're in a series on spiritual warfare, uh, and, there's, and there's a lot to know. There's a lot to know about spiritual warfare. In fact, if you don't think that that's a main theme of the Bible, I want to let you know that the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is largely about spiritual warfare. And I said this last night, if you eliminated all the passages that deal specifically with spiritual warfare, the Bible would probably be more like a pamphlet, really. It would, because there's so much on spiritual warfare. Now, along those lines, I want to urge you, if this is the first of the series you're hearing, or maybe you've missed some here and there, you can go back and you can podcast. You can go to our website, discovercommunity.church, listen straight through the website, or you can podcast from uh, Google Play and iTunes, and catch up, because there's so much to know. And because there's so much to know, it's a subject that is rife for misunderstanding. Half information, partial information, some downright wrong information. And the reason that I had it on my heart to teach this series on spiritual warfare is just to do mostly that, to get rid of that misinformation. Because when we have gaps in our knowledge or incorrect knowledge, that's what the enemy, the devil, uses to get in and mislead us. And we're very easy as human beings to be misled because... The devil is smart. So he'll give us truth with just a little twist to it, just enough to make it wrong. Okay, if it were obvious, then everybody could catch it. He's very, very clever. And so knowing the schemes that he uses, knowing the tactics that he uses, um, knowing even the foundations of how this spiritual battle even started, these are all things that we've been talking about. And then we started to shift into our weapons, the tools that we have to combat the weapons that the enemy has. So we went in depth into those things. And so I, again, urge you to go back and, and listen to those if you missed any of them. Then we shifted into some more tools like the power of prayer in spiritual warfare. Prayer is simply hearing from God. Okay, we overcomplicate prayer so much, but prayer is simply hearing from God. And part of our spiritual inventory that we're going to do today it's important to be able to hear clearly from God. We talked about the role of, of the prophetic in spiritual warfare. And then last week, we talked about the role of deliverance. Okay, deliverance from the lies and the schemes of the enemy. How some things are direct demonic attacks. Some of these things are strongholds. Basically, walls that we have built around ourselves that are clouding our perception of who God is, clouding our perception of who we are in Christ. And those things are equally as damaging. So as we go into, you know, this past week, we've been celebrating freedom as a nation, right? Last night, there were a whole bunch of people wearing red, white, and blue. I don't see too many here today, but um, it's fun. It's fun and it's meaningful to celebrate our freedom as a nation, freedom from, you know, what we call tyranny. The British might have a different view of what that was. But we celebrate our freedom, our freedom to worship who we want, when we want, where we want, our freedom in many other ways. That's what we come to celebrate. It's that personal freedom. You are free to do whatever, for the most part, you would like to do in this country, and we have that freedom. 
Okay, but then there's also that specific freedom in Christ that we have. That freedom in Christ that no matter where you are, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have freedom in him that is unheard of throughout history anywhere in the world. We have those kinds of ultimate freedoms. And those two freedoms, our freedom as a nation and our freedom as individuals, are so tightly tied together. They are tied together in ways sometimes that we don't even notice but it's important. Even the Bible addresses it. The first scripture I'm going to get into, by the way, if you're a visitor here, I do a lot of scripture. Typically, I teach what's called expository, which means I take out a scripture and I will go in depth into that specific scripture, right? This time is a little bit more of a theme where I'm pulling scriptures from different parts of the word. I still want to introduce context because I don't ever want to be accused of pulling out a scripture to support something that that's not what that meant, It's very important to me that we all have a solid understanding. And so I'll pull out a lot of scripture and I try and give you an understanding for the most part of where it came from and what it means. So the first scripture that we have today, though, is Isaiah chapter 60, verse 12. It says, for the nation and the kingdom which will not serve you will perish and the nations will be utterly ruined. All the way back there, hundreds of years before Jesus Christ, the prophet Isaiah knew that this was going to be a problem, that there were going to be people who were worshiping all kinds of different gods, small g gods from all over the place, worshiping different idols, and this was going to be a problem. The bottom line here is that any country that does not serve God and uphold his ideals will not, cannot prosper for long. And so we can sit here and we can watch the news and we can kind of lament that, oh, man, things are just going down the tubes at a rapid pace. They're taking, taking the Pledge of Allegiance out of schools and God we trust off of the money. There's all these kind of things that are happening and we're just de, de-Christianizing our nation. But the fact is we are still one nation under God. And the enemy can do anything he wants to try and pick at that and to chip away at that, but that's all it is. He's picking and he's chipping away. The foundational belief in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is also foundational to this country. And it still is, despite reports to the contrary. So this is where we are. There have been, in fact, a lot of people, and I hear this, it it feels like it's increasing in its urgency, people praying for revival. How many here have said a prayer recently like, Lord, bring revival? I know I have, but we start thinking about what is, what really is revival, okay? You hear it, it's kind of a buzzword, and a lot of people say that, Lord, bring revival. What are we talking about when we're talking about that? Okay, are we talking, now, are we talking about a tent set up out in the middle of nowhere somewhere where they're, you know, doing healings and handling snakes and things? I mean, that's a kind of revival, right? It's a kind of revival. That's really not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is corporate revival of the church of Christ. Okay? The definition of revival says that this is just a, a dictionary definition of, of Christian revival, by the way. Revival refers to a spiritual reawakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation in the life of a church, congregation, or society with a local, national, or global effect. Stagnation in the life of a church all the way down to the congregational level. So how do we change that? We can't just say, we want revival. I'm going to sit on my couch and watch TV. Call me when it's happening and I'll show up. Okay? Watch our Facebook page. When the revival happens, we'll be sure you all hear about it. We'll Twitter it. We'll Twitter it. We'll tweet it. Let's... Man, I try so hard to be up on that, and I still, I still give it away. But we'll let you know when the revival happens, and we just want y'all, we want y'all to come so you don't miss it, man. It's going to be fun. We'll have bounce castles, and we'll have all kinds of stuff when that revival happens. No, I make light of it. I make light of it. But here's the thing. We know it's going to happen. We're going into, into the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ in a couple weeks. So we will know, and we know we have this assurance that it does happen at some point. How do we get that revival down to our level, down to our congregational level? We can have our own. We don't have to wait for anybody else. 
to jump in on theirs. We can have our own. But what's it going to take? What's it going to take? Number one thing it's going to take is holding firm to the Word of God, the teachings of Jesus Christ, and more importantly, not just to know them, Okay, a lot of us have probably read our Bible quite a bit. We've probably heard a lot of teachings. If you're here, there's a good chance you know who Jesus Christ is. Maybe you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior yet, but you know who he is, and you've heard a bit about him. And that's why you're here, but that's not enough. That's not enough. In fact, right in our mission statement, it says, we want to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. The world is full of hearers of the word, okay? Just simply hearers of the word are never going to start a revival. It's the doers of the word that are going to accomplish that. We can be, church, we can be the catalyst for revival in our communities, in our state. Anybody lament the direction that Colorado is going lately? I do. We can be the catalyst for that revival How do we do that? Not by sitting around in our closets at home praying, but by being doers of the word. That's what it's going to take. And we can do that. We know what the word says for the most part, okay? Even a brand new, brand new first-time believer Christian has a rough idea of what the Bible says. I'm not saying you know every chapter and verse and everything in Deuteronomy and you can recite Leviticus to me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the most, the most uh, baby Christian, if you will, knows in general, the Bible says, love the Lord your God and love one another. Right? We boil the, Jesus said, this is the greatest commandments. Here's the two things I want you to know. If you forget everything else, love the Lord your God and love one another. Fairly straightforward. Why don't we do that? Why don't we do it? I know some of you are saying, oh, I was loving on somebody just this morning. And, I, and cool, check off today. <laughs> what about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? What about on the way home? What, what about when you forget that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday and you drive up into the drive-thru this afternoon? You're like, oh, man, don't mess with my Chick-fil-A. Why, if we know what the Word says that we're supposed to do, why aren't we more doers of the Word? Are we just uninformed of what our role is? Okay, I know what it all says, but what's my part to play? Are we lazy? Is it that? That's fairly uncharitable, but do we sit at home and go, somebody else will be the doer of the Word? I want to be the doer of this sandwich while I watch TV. (laughs) Do we say that to ourselves? Are we just, do we know what our part is? We're just not interested in doing it. Wow. Are we too busy? Are we distracted? Do we want to do it? We know what it is. We know what we ought to be doing. But is our to-do list in our life just so overwhelming that we just can't? I don't have the bandwidth to engage in something else today. I think we're on to something there. I think if we look at the busyness of our lives and the stuff that everybody has going on, I think we're maybe on to something. Why we're not more doers of the word? Because really, if you're just struggling in your life to keep your head above water, I'm just trying to earn enough so I can keep ahead of my bills. I'm just trying to do enough so I can try and stay healthy. I'm just, I'm paddling furiously to just try and keep from drowning under this mountain of to-dos and responsibilities and things that I have in my life. Is that pretty real? Who here has not had that kind of a thought recently? We start looking at it that way, and the idea of participating in a revival can easily seem like someone else's job. I'll let someone who's got their act a little more together and a little less urgency in their life, I'll let them handle it. And then maybe when things calm down, okay, I can jump in and I can start doing my part. Church, we don't have that luxury. 
Nowhere in the word does it say, hey, why don't you just take a little time off because you're dealing with some stuff. When you're ready, come and engage with the rest of us. We don't ever get that option. But when we're distracted by our own battles, physical, spiritual, otherwise, we simply don't see the bigger picture of how we fit in to what God has for us. And when we're in that place, it's very easy to become a hearer of the word. You could make some time to get here this morning, and that's wonderful. What about the rest of your day? How many people are sitting here right now going, okay, i got to stop by the hardware store, i got to do this, and i got to see if I can mow the lawn before it rains, and you're, you're thinking of those things, and it's just natural. It's just natural, but it's easy to be a hearer and not so much a doer. We need to flip that, church. We need to be doers of the word. So if you want to be a doer of the word, how do you go about doing that? How do you become a doer of the word? Okay, so I think the best way is to know more about our part. Okay, I've talked about spiritual warfare. I've talked a lot about using uh, um, military themes, battle themes in terms of spiritual warfare. And I think one of the best things we can do is honestly assess where we are as a body and as an individual right now today. Okay, not who you want to be, not who you portray to your friends, not who you are really trying hard to be. I'm just not quite there yet. Not who you wish you were. Who you are spiritually today. Who we are as a body today. So keeping with that theme, I call the message today, I call it walking the perimeter. Walking the perimeter. Think about it. If you're in a battle, let's say we're all inside the walls of Jerusalem. Thousands of years ago, we're inside the walls of Jerusalem and we are preparing for battle. What would we do? We would try and figure out who our enemy was, right? Who's the enemy? Okay, we've talked about that. What are some of his tactics? We've talked about that. What are some of the weapons that he's going to use? talked about that. What about the weapons that we have? Be prepared. We've talked about all those things. So you'd be inside the walls. You'd be gathering supplies. You'd be learning about your enemy, gathering intelligence. You'd be strengthening yourself. You'd be training. You'd be getting ready. You'd be doing all these things. Okay, now it's the eve of the battle. The enemy is outside or they're on the way. What's the last thing that we would do? The last thing we would do is walk the perimeter, walk the ramparts, and look for weak spots. Look for openings. Look for ways the enemy can get in and get at you. Because it's not enough to just know who he is, some of the tactics he uses, be prepared. I've got, I've got all my preparations right here. I've got everything I need, but I haven't looked for any weak spots, those places that he's going to attack. That's why I call it walking the perimeter. We need to be vigilant of those places. In some cases, that involves getting outside yourself and actually imagining, now, if I was my enemy, what would I be doing? If I was my enemy, where would I be looking to find inroads? By doing that, we can identify some of our weaknesses and then work to shore those up before we become vulnerable. Does that make sense? So I'm going to talk, the rest of this message, I'm going to talk about some of the ways that we can do that, that we can assess where we are spiritually and prepare better for an attack. The very first thing that I have is to just, is kind of a warning about the danger of complacency. It's very easy to be complacent and say, okay, I'm, I'm, spiritually, I'm spiritually strong. I've got my game in order. I read the word every day, I pray every day, I'm pretty strong in that. But it's still easy to become complacent. One of my favorite spiritual warfare scriptures, I'll just read it to you, is 1 Peter 5.8, and I read this every single weekend. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That is a vivid picture. Especially if you think of it in context of when it was written. This was written 
with the eye of, of shepherds who would roam the countryside with their flocks of sheep. Okay, that was the illustration that they're referring to when they say that. They're roaming the countryside, flocks of sheep, and in the middle of the night, the lions would creep in from out of nowhere, and they would attack the stragglers. They would attack the weak. They would attack the ones who had separated themselves from the flock. And they would do it suddenly and without warning. And that's the illustration that he's referring to here. Suddenly, without warning, the enemy will find that weak spot, that straggler, that, that one who's not fully engaged, and attack. That's the image we have here. Luke gives us another one, Luke 21, 34. Got this one on screen. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation, which means you're being torn in 10 different directions. Bless you, man. And drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. Don't be caught unaware. What is this really saying? It's saying, don't get so weighed down by the things that are going on in your life that you get distracted. It's very easy. I'm not saying our focus 24-7 needs to be on the enemy and his attacks and his schemes. In fact, it shouldn't be. It should be on Jesus Christ and his power and his authority to keep us out of situations like that. But just like any country that's under under the threat of war or in an active war, you go about your life, but you're aware. Be aware. This is what he's saying. Don't get so distracted by life that you just fail to be aware of the things that can come your way. So that's the uh, about um, complacency. Now I want to talk about how you self-assess. Step one in assessing yourself and where you are is to do it with humility. You absolutely must exercise a healthy dose of humility when you're assessing where you are spiritually. This is why we don't do corporate testimony. I'm going to set a mic up here and come tell me where you are spiritually. Because no one's ever going to say, "Um, I'm pretty weak spiritually right now. I'm pretty vulnerable. What in fact happens, and I see this happen all the time, is this idea of... of, uh, holding each other accountable, of accountability. It's one of the most commonly, I believe, abused terms or ideas that we as Christians go through. I've heard so many people say, oh, I have an accountability partner. Would you like to be my accountability partner? Sure, let's be each other's accountability partner. And they'll sit across from each other and enjoy a coffee and talk about their struggles at work and man, so just my prayer life is just not what I wish it would be. And yet, there's that deeper, darker thing that they're hiding, that they don't bring out. Because you're only as accountable as you want to be. Those really embarrassing, those really damaging, those really damaging sins are the ones that we tend to hide. So we have to be honest and we have to be humble when we are going to talk about assessing ourselves. Romans 12.3, the Apostle Paul says this, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. What does faith mean? Those of you who have been going here for a while. That's a perfect definition, Cheryl, of what faith is. Faith, ultimately, though, is hearing from God. You have to hear from God in order to have that kind of faith. So Paul here is saying, hear from God and assess yourself honestly. Don't think that you're all that in a bag of chips. I think Paul is actually the one that coined that phrase. Don't think that you are, because chances are, no matter how smart And how fast and how well off you are, you're probably not all that. You probably have some chinks in your armor, some weak spots, and the enemy will assess those and the enemy will attack those if you're not aware. You can't just look and go, yeah, I know I'm not so great at that, but I'm really good at this. Look at those areas where maybe we're not doing so good. Another scripture, Revelation 3, chapter 3, verses 15 to 17 
This is quoting Jesus here. I know your deeds that you are neither hot, neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's not a great picture of somebody who thinks that they're rich, very well off and need nothing. Now a little context here. Jesus is actually written, in fact, in, in Revelation here where this is from, it's addressed to the church in Laodicea. Church in Laodicea is actually in Turkey, what would be modern-day Turkey now, and it's kind of near Ephesus. And what's being referred to here is the fact Laodicea was an uh, industrial city, okay, as far as industry went back at those times. It was kind of an industrial city. They had a lot of, a lot of mining, a lot of manufacturing, just a lot of stuff went on in Laodicea. And they were, for the most part, very rich. It had made them extremely wealthy to the point to where so even those who confessed Jesus and, and faith in him alone, they were still a little bit more faithful in their income, in their wallets, but actually their wealth and their growth and their manufacturing and everything had actually grown to the point to where they outstripped their water supply. They didn't have sufficient water to continue the growth. So what they did is they took some of their money and they invested in building an underground aqueduct, okay, miles long through the countryside, an aqueduct to bring water in so they could continue making money hand over fist like they were. And while this was great and it allowed that to go on, the water was nasty. By the time the water got to them, it was brackish and it was lukewarm. And it was so terrible to drink that even scripture records that a lot of people would just throw up after they drank it. It was gross. You could live on it. You could build things out of it, but just barely. While meanwhile, a couple neighboring towns. Okay, one, one town was um, uh, Heropolis. Heropolis had hot springs. Very nearby, but very well known for hot springs. People would go there to vacation. People would go there to enjoy, enjoy the hot springs. So they had that. Okay? And then Colossia, which is where Colossians was written to, it was very well known also on the other side, fairly nearby, for its cool running streams. So they had this cool, pure, nice-to-drink water Okay, and on the other side were these hot springs. So Jesus is actually referring and saying, hey, these guys are very hot, and that's super enjoyable. These guys are cool and refreshing, and that's really nice too, and both valuable. What are you? You are lukewarm. You are more interested in making money. You confess Jesus, but you don't live the life, and therefore you're not good for much. Sure, you can live, you're not good for much. And this is the illustration that Jesus is, is portraying when he talks about being hot nor cold. Then to put a, put a kind of finer point on what our internal abilities are, John 15, 5 says, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you're doing a self-assessment in humility and you hear Jesus say, hey, apart from me, you can do nothing. Church, that needs to be our mindset. Our mindset can't be, I am really capable and I can live my life and do really, really well. And then every now and then I'll go to church and invite Jesus into my life. And then I'll get back to my real life. Jesus is saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. And in humility, in a humble mindset, that's going to be where we think. So given that mindset of humility when we're assessing ourselves, and the next thing we do is we look for places where the enemy can sneak in, okay? Looking literally for those weak points, right? One of the most common weak points the most common hiding place, Scripture actually talks about this. I've got it on screen. Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. 
Where's your heart? That's an important thing to know because your spirit, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, your spirit is saved. But your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, that is not saved, and that becomes a battleground. That is the battleground of the flesh. So if you're losing that battle, your heart is going to start to turn sour, and that's an important flag for us to realize where we are. So if you're going to assess your heart, like, where is my heart? I need to guard it. What am I looking for? What am I looking for in my heart? Scripture again helps us out. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are? Now this is quite a list, and I'm going to turn my back to all of you so there's no eye contact, okay? (laughs) Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I have forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If these things are in your heart, that's a place where the enemy's going to get in. That is an open door. It's more than just a chink. That is a wide open door for the enemy to come in. So if we're looking at that, these are some signs. You can take that down. Some signs of spiritual attack. What are some things for us to look out for then? How do you know then if you're under active attack? Okay, I see some weaknesses. How do I know if I'm under active attack? And in the interest of making this message less than two hours, what I did, (coughs) those of you who go here are laughing because you know, in the back there, in the table, right as you go out the door, I've put some of these sheets out. They're nothing fancy, just a, just a Xerox sheet. But on the one side, it says spiritual inventory questions. This is not the be-all, end-all, comprehensive of everything, but it's a way to get you started thinking. I urge you all to grab one on the way out the door when you're leaving. Take an inventory of yourself, and here's some of the questions on it. What do I let into my ears? What do I listen to? What's the condition of my heart? What words do I speak? What am I looking at? What do I feel about Jesus? What, am I, what do I know about who Jesus is? What are my biggest doubts? Do I hear from God when I pray? And then here's a hard one. What are some of the things that I'm doing that are nurturing me spiritually? What are some things I'm doing that are damaging me spiritually? Read through that. Do an honest assessment of that. Now, the backside is some signs of spiritual attack. Let me quickly explain. Spiritual attack can come in a couple different forms. One is an active attack from the enemy and his demons, okay? That's an active spiritual attack. Then there are also, to be differentiated from, their strongholds. And a stronghold, okay, is you're thinking wrong about God or thinking wrong about yourself, That's a stronghold. Now, a stronghold can be deep-seated. We can gain these strongholds when we're babies and carry them throughout our lives. That is a different issue. Still spiritual attack, but it's a different issue to be dealt with in a different way. An active spiritual attack. Here's here's some of the signs of spiritual attack. I'm not going to read them all. Feeling discouraged, defeated, or depressed. Loss of spiritual desire. I no longer even care about praying or reading my Bible. Thinking about going back to your old lifestyle. Ever had those thoughts? Old emotional wounds from the past are resurfacing from out of nowhere. You no longer feel peace, ever. An atmosphere of of pressure or oppression, crippling doubt, unusual conflict. Things like this are signs that you're under an active attack. Please grab one of these as as you're on your way out. Take it home. Do an honest, prayerful assessment of where you are because I think that can be helpful. Here's another sign, though, going back to the message. If you can respond, just a test, if you can respond to life events that come your way, I got a flat tire, somebody cut me off on the highway, Chick-fil-A is closed, I burnt, burnt my breakfast, 
I got here late and they were packing up pancakes and bacon already and I missed it. Again, more frivolous, but what about loss of a job? What about somebody who's deathly ill in the hospital? What about the loss of a friend or a loved one? If you can respond to those life events with exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit, then you're winning that battle. So what are, the, what are the fruits of the Spirit? Many of us know this, but I want to read it. Make sure we're all on the same page. Galatians 5, 22, 25. Again, this is Paul teaching this. The fruit of the Spirit, by the way, how do you get the fruit of the Spirit? By confessing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit by which you also receive the fruits. Now, do we operate in them all the time? Obviously not. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have these things. Do we choose to operate in, in them or not? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Can you respond to those trials and tribulations, those everyday things that come your way? Can you respond to them that way? Because any other spirit, any other thing that, that rises up in you when you face those things, whether it's fear, anger, jealousy, those things are from the devil. They are not fruits of the spirit. And if they're not fruits of the spirit, then they're from the enemy. Right? That is a good flag. How am I responding to those things that come my way? Now, if you're like me, somebody cuts you off on the highway and you're like, Ooh! okay, all right. Okay, not perfect, but I caught it. Okay, don't condemn yourself because the flesh is there. The flesh is always going to be present. It says we're to crucify the flesh, but... We haven't been able to do that successfully yet. So just because you have that fleshly impulse, okay, if you've caught it and you've operated, you've made the choice to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit rather than the fruit of the flesh or the outpouring of the flesh, that is a victory, church. Count that as a victory. That is not a failure. The enemy would want to tell you it is. You're still not there. You're still not perfect. Look at how you re responded to that. The victory is I saw it, I caught it, and I stopped it. Okay? So, how do we change it? Galatians 5, 16, 17 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so you may not do the things you please. Could it be more obvious? We know what to do. We know we're supposed to do it, but for some reason, we just don't. That's how it works. So avoiding temptation. How do we avoid temptation then? We walk in the truth. The temptation to act like that. The temptation to rise up in anger. The temptation to give in to the things of the flesh, those fleshly desires, things that just satisfy us physically, but not spiritually. I'm going to read this to you. This is 1 John chapter 1, 5 to 10. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Church, confession of your sin denies the enemy a place to hide. Bring out those dark places. Expose them to the light. Leave the enemy no place to go. Confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins before God. This is what we are supposed to do to deny him a foothold, okay? Now, knowing that we're on the right path, 
1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 6, another little bit longer one. I'll read this one to you. My children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. What are Jesus' commandments? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the only two things that were classified as commandments of Jesus Christ. Maybe you could toss in there the Great Commission, go make disciples. But you're not having any luck with that unless you do it with love either, right? The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But for whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we're in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and and come on up. So that's a lot. That's a lot to think about. And that's a lot to assess. It's a lot to know, again, the schemes of the enemy, the ways he comes at you, to know whether you're in an attack or not, to try and figure out in what ways am I under attack, where are my weaknesses. So many times we're blind to our weaknesses and we don't even see them, but others can see them. We need to also recognize that God can use others to come to us and point out our weaknesses. This isn't condemnation. This should be conviction. And as Christians with brothers and sisters, we are allowed to to help each other, to help each other identify those weaknesses, those maybe blind spots that we're not seeing. But the best way, the best way, Apostle Paul gives us this again, Romans 12, 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the renewed mind of Christ. You have that. Will we make the choice to exercise that, to use that gift that we've been given, to ask the Holy Spirit, is this good and acceptable for me, or is it not? Because that's the only way we're going to know for sure. Because Scripture also says it's what's good for one is not necessarily good for the other. Who judges that? The Holy Spirit. And when we access the Holy Spirit through that renewed mind of Christ, that is when we can know that we're on the path and we not only see our weaknesses, but we've done everything we can to shore up those ways that the enemy gets at us. Amen? Guys, if we want to usher in revival, if we want to usher in revival, let's start today by being doers of the word and not merely hearers. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, guys, we're going to go into communion right now. There's no better way to celebrate what Jesus has done for us than to take communion together as a body. Now, if you're a visitor here, We invite you to take communion with us. The only requirement for taking communion is that you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you're here and you have not made that confession, but maybe you're feeling that tug like, I need to do that. I need to quit trying to win all these battles on my own. I need an advocate. I need someone with me. Then Jesus invites you to know him. All we have to do is answer his call. Stop running. Stop trying so hard to get away and just say yes. The word says that you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and then you will be saved. And that's all there is to it. We have prayer team in the back who would love to pray that through with you. If you need some help, like how do I do this and what do I say? First of all, there's no, there's no specific thing you have to say or do. But if you would like help with that decision, we have a prayer team in the back who would love to help you with that. But for everyone else, if you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, we invite you to take communion with us now. At the crosses, both sides, we have juice 
and bread and gluten-free crackers and you just dip the cracker or the bread in the juice and you take it like that. You can serve yourself, serve your family. Up here though, we've got bread and wine and we would love to serve you. We'll be serving you up here. Let's do it with grateful hearts. Grateful hearts, but humble hearts. That without him, we are nothing. But through him, we are everything. Thank you, church. We want to introduce this song really quickly. It's called Declare, and um, it's kind of neat. Uh, we prayed for songs last year in May, and um, God gave us this song pretty quickly in just a, a quick session together, um, just based on things that were on Leah's and my heart. Um, hope you enjoy it.
Jesus. 